back, warriors. Tansei Sego Ani Buju, Queen Louisi Pam Palmeter, and I am the host of this show, The Warrior Life. This podcast is a show about living the warrior life, a lifestyle that focuses on decolonizing our minds, bodies, and spirits, while at the same time revitalizing our cultures, traditions, laws, and practices. It's also about asserting, living, and defending our sovereignty all over Turtle Island. And today's Warrior Life podcast is a request by listeners who asked that I share the audio from one of my videos on my YouTube channel. It was a presentation that I gave at Listigouche, one of the Mi'kmaq First Nations in Quebec, which is only a few minutes away from my own First Nation of Eel River Bar. I was so honored to be part of this larger event with Listigouche grades 7 and 8 students, teaching staff, educators, the elected leaders of Listigouche Mi'kmaq government, the Mi'kmaq Grand Council members, and tons of Listigouche community members. The keynote was part of a two-day forum called Honoring Our Land, Mauiomi, held on March 21st to 23rd in 2019. My core message was about the importance of Mi'kmaq nationhood and sovereignty and how important it is that this generation of youth, like the many generations before them, contribute to our ongoing nation-building efforts. But before we get into the podcast, I wanted to let everyone know that Fernwood Publishing is offering a 30% discount on my new book, Warrior Life, Indigenous Resistance and Resurgence, for a limited time with the code WARRIOR30. That is W-A-R-R-I-O-R, the number three, and the number zero. Warrior Life is a companion book to the first one, Indigenous Nationhood Empowering Grassroots Citizens. The first book was about the dreaded Harper era and the key issues facing Indigenous peoples during his reign. The second book, Warrior Life, is really during the Trudeau era and provides insight and analysis on his Indigenous policies. Together, the two books ask the question, what changes for Indigenous peoples with each federal election? And how much further ahead are we on critical issues like land back, self-determination, treaty implementation, or ending genocide? I'll be sure to post a link in the show notes in case you want to get the 30% discount. But without further ado, here is my speech about Mi'kmaq nationhood and sovereignty from Listigouche. Thank you all for having me here. It's such an honor to be back home, back home on our unceded territory and amongst our sovereign Mi'kmaq nation. There is nothing that makes me happier than to come here and see nationhood in action. See you all preserving your language and culture and ceremony and tradition and the most important thing our community, our nation, and our union all doing this together, not off living our lives as individuals, but together as one nation. And I want to thank all all of the elders and the Grand Council and chiefs and councils, community members, the drummers, and especially those amazing dancers for opening us in a good way and keeping us grounded in who we are and what it means to be Mi'kmaq because there are no other people in the entire universe on this planet who are Mi'kmaq like we are. And that is something special and it is something to be protected. We were never meant to survive colonization, but the fact that we did is a testament, not to their failures, but to our strengths and our resilience. And if we can survive genocide, we can survive anything 
that's thrown at us in our individual daily lives. It's just about how we take what happens and reformulate that and take that energy and put it into nation building and use it in a good way. And um, I've, I've been asked to talk to you today about nationhood and sovereignty and peoplehood. And what, what I don't want you to do is get caught up on any of the, the words or the definitions or the terminology, what you might have learned in your textbooks or what you might read online. Because we're having this conversation in English, we're not having it in Mi'kmaq. And so the concepts are different. But the idea is fundamentally the same. When we're talking about nationhood, we're talking about peoplehood. It's about all of us together. When we're talking about nationhood, we're talking about our territory, our resources. When we're talking about nationhood, it's our treaties that we have with other nations. And I'm not talking just about the ones that we have with, the uh, with the Her Majesty the Queen. I'm talking about the ones we have with the Moose Nation and the, and the Deer Nation and the Eagle Nation and all of the responsibilities we have to those nations to make sure that they also survive the genocide that's been tried to be committed against them in our territories. We have wide-ranging responsibilities so there's more than enough for all of us to do to rebuild and strengthen our nations. And I'm sure as youth, you've probably heard this a million times before, because I did. Youth are the future. You're the future leaders. You're the future this. You're the future that. And if you are the future, then it's already too late for our nations. Because nations don't start at adulthood. Nations start in spirithood. And when the spirit and the body is united into the child and, and life is brought forth, and from that time on, when you're learning from all of your elders and your parents, not from what they're telling you, but from what they're doing, their actions and the values they live, that's, that's where it comes from. And so to my mind, all of you that are sitting in this room, you're actually the present. You're the present. You're the ones who actually have to protect the future and the past. Because in Mi'kmaq ideology, we don't see it as this linear line. We're all together in a circle. Our ancestors are sitting right beside us right now. And they're no further away from us than our children sitting right in front of us. And that's what nationhood is about. So for all of the youth in this room, you're the present. You're the ones who need to be actively engaged in nation building right now on a daily basis. Our nations, all of our indigenous nations, but especially the Mi'kmaq nation who has suffered 500 years of colonization, we actually need you in nation building right now. We need you to be leaders right now, warriors right now, caregivers right now because there's a lot of pressures on us. It's literally critical to the survival of our nation right now that you're involved in this. And I acknowledge Listigush for everything that they've done for making sure that the youth are actually included in this conversation, that this isn't just a meeting in a small room with chief and council. Or it's not just something that the Grand Council has, has to talk about in isolation, away from the people, because our nation is the people. And so you're already a long way there. 
And one of the questions young people often ask me, especially on social media, is, you know, what is nationhood anyway? If we have to have this conversation in English, how do we talk about it in a way that we understand it and put it into operation? So it's not just something that we talk about. You're not just going to write a research report on it. And like I said, it's, it's about our land, it's about our people, it's about unity. Some people call it self-determination. You know, your ability as a nation to decide for yourself how you want to live, the way you want to live it, without anybody else interfering with that or telling you how to do it, or when to do it, or what is good for your people. We've had a few hundred years of other governments trying to say, we know what's good for you people. And every time they thought they knew what was good for us, it made things worse. We've always been the ones who know what's good for us. And more than that, more than just being able to determine your own life in your own way, it's about the comprehensive nature of who we are as nations. So often in, in the media, or even on social media, or on television programs, or the way governments speak, they talk about us as a cultural group. So what we are is our culture, our dances, our ceremonies, and our language. And that's true. That's a part of what it means to be a nation. But we're also warriors, we're also leaders, we enact laws, we enforce laws, we have economies, we're engaged in intertribal and international trade, we engage in politics, we have traditional indigenous knowledge, not just about things like hunting and fishing, but also about science and manufacturing and engineering and space and technology. We are no different than any other country in the world. So whatever they do as countries, however they define themselves and their powers, we are the same. We have the same powers. So we should never ever let them define us as cultural groups because that works to their advantage. If we're just about culture, then there's no need to recognize our land. There's no need to recognize our governing systems, traditional or elected. There's no need to recognize our schools and our laws. But we've been telling them since contact that we will never surrender this land, we'll never surrender our sovereignty, and treaties are proof of that. So when I went to school, I didn't get to go to school on reserve, and I didn't have a First Nations school. So I was taught that treaties made us surrender. We made us give up all of our rights and give up all of our land, and now we're under the Canadian government. And that's not the case at all. In fact, the United Nations has done international studies on all of the treaties ever signed by European countries with Indigenous peoples. And you know what they found time and time again? That even under European law, way back then, a nation never enters into a treaty with its own citizens or its own subjects. It only ever enters into treaties with other sovereign nations. So just the signing of the treaty is a recognition of our inherent power as sovereign Mi'kmaq nation. And that has never changed. And now it's solidified in Canada's own constitution. So while they don't verbally recognize our sovereignty, it's in their own laws that we're sovereign. And every time they deny our sovereignty, or our ability to act on our own, they're breaking their own laws. So when it comes to Canada, our allies, Canada is an outlaw. 
And it is our job as allies to help bring them back to lawfulness, to help bring them back to the place that they should be, not just for the benefit of government, for, but for the benefit of their own people. Because no one benefits when one country is lawless. We promise to do that and we continue to extend our hands to do this in peace and friendship. The other question I get asked a lot, especially in high school students, is, well, Canada doesn't recognize us as sovereign nations. You know, they're never going to recognize us, so why should we even try? Great question. And they also answered their own question. Don't try. Sovereignty has never been about recognition. Sovereignty is asserting your nationhood, living your nationhood, and defending it. And it's not a status. It's not a right. So it's not something that you would go around and say, I have the right to be sovereign. No one has the right to be sovereign. You either are or you aren't. You either live it or you don't and you have to defend it. It's hard for us because we have to defend it every single minute of the day. It's literally something that we can't ever drop the ball. It's not like, oh look, they passed a law to protect gender equality and human rights. We can relax for a little bit. There's going to be no law. There's going to be no earthbound proclamation that the Mi'kmaq are sovereign that comes from us. But here's the thing. All around the world, how sovereignty works is if you live, assert, and defend your sovereignty, recognition follows, not the other way around. You don't get recognition and then you're sovereign. So if you think of the smallest little countries in the world, sometimes they're war-torn. Sometimes people say they don't have a chance. But they defend and they defend and they defend until someday the international community looks and says, you know what? They've been living as sovereigns, defending their sovereignty. We should include them in the international nation of communities as sovereign people. So that's the thing. We don't have to worry about anyone else. It's whether or not we still believe it, we still carry it in our hearts, and we live it every day. That we don't let one single negativity that anyone ever says to us about our people or our nation ever enter our hearts. And so long as there is one Mi'kmaq person in Mi'kma'ki, so long as there is one person still advocating for our rights, we will always be sovereign. And it doesn't take everyone. Not everyone is a warrior. Not everyone is a leader. Not everyone is a caregiver. It's okay for us to be able to do this in different ways. And sometimes we might even be disappointed when we come to, say, a community meeting and only 10 people show up. And we think, oh, you know, we don't have a chance. Yeah, we do, because there's still one person willing to step up and be a warrior for our nation. And they're not just standing up for themselves, they're standing up for all of the empty chairs. Because that's not our fault that there's empty chairs. There's empty chairs because of what the colonizers have done to our people. Because some of us have illness, some of us have struggles, some of us are not able to participate in that way. But what a sovereign nation does is stand for all of its people, regardless of where we are, in dealing with our trauma, in dealing with decolonization. We don't all have to be at the same place at the same time. It's okay. 
We just have to learn to forgive ourselves for being colonized. It takes a long time to get the colonizers out of our head. It takes a long time to stand in your own skin and be confident and sovereign as an individual and proud of who you are, no matter what is being told to you. So anytime you see an empty seat at a community meeting or at a powwow, actually celebrate those people and honor those people and be thankful that you have the gift to be in the seat for whatever reason, because you had supportive parents or because you don't suffer from disease or because you have the ability to travel to that meeting. Every single benefit and privilege we have as a nation has to be shared with everybody else at different times. And then someday, when you can't be in that seat, someone else will be sitting there for you and making sure that we're working together as a nation. And so our sovereignty is recognized by our very existence. We are still here, not by any accident, and not just because we're great baby makers. We're here as human beings, but as Mi'kmaq human beings, because we continued to assert ourselves as Mi'kmaq. We continue to say we're Mi'kmaq and proud. We danced in the streets in Idle No More and said we're here and we're not going away, and we are kick ass. That's what it means to be Mi'kmaq. That's why I stand up here. And the most important thing that I can do is actually be in our communities and, and address our nations. It's the one place that still makes me nervous when I come to a gathering or when I have to speak. It's the one place where all of that humility and humbleness just rushes in and I'm in awe of who we are as a people and that we're still here and that I get to be a part of it. That's, that's what fills me up every day, just being here. I was trying not to cry when all the little powwow people were dancing around. It's so wonderful to see that because I didn't have that as a child. There wasn't a whole lot of that going on when I was a child. Our parents were, you know, trying not to dance in the streets, trying not to make waves. And so this kind of resurgence, that's what nationhood is all about. We've, we refuse to go away. We refuse to give up our lands. Do you know of all of the nations in the entire country, because I do a lot of legal work all across the country, and there are different kinds of nations. Some don't have any treaties. They have just unsurrendered lands. Some have treaties, and their lands, I argue, are still unsurrendered, but the government tries to say that they surrendered their lands. Here in the Maritimes, not only do we have unsurrendered lands, it's known as Aboriginal title, but we have treaties which recognize our sovereign identity and never surrendered any lands. We have the most amount of ammo behind us in terms of our rights. We're probably one of the most powerful, no offense to any Cree in the room, but I'm a little on the biased side. And, and I, I tell people all the time, imagine if we could come together and just say no more to all of the things we didn't like and let them challenge us. Let them challenge the unsurrendered status of our territory because they haven't been able to challenge our treaty rights or our Aboriginal rights but our sovereignty and our power is all attached to our territory. 
It's what keeps calling me home, but it's that power that we have yet to yield. We have yet to wield that power to our maximum advantage because we act in protocol. We act in respect of the treaty relationship. We try to work positively with the allies. But at some point, we're going to have to push a little bit. And I'm not saying violence, and I'm not saying in anger, but we're going to have to push and push and push to make sure that things never go back to the way they were, that we never lose control of what little we have. And that's what happens when we think that sovereignty or nationhood is a right versus something that we have to do every single day. It's a verb, it's an action. So if you ever hear someone saying they're sovereign, it's like, why is that? Are you speaking your language today? Are you occupying your territory? Are you driving an elder to a hospital appointment? Are you helping to organize the powwow? Are you working for chief and council? Are you assisting the grand council? What is it about you that you're doing that's making you sovereign, that's helping you build your nation. Because I hear a lot in mainstream politics around, oh, I have a right to fish, I have a right to hunt. What I, very, I don't hear very often is, oh, and here's my corresponding obligation that goes with that right. Because what is that corresponding obligation? It's more than laying down tobacco when you take someone from the Moose Nation. It's about protecting the territory and all of the plants and animals and the entire ecosystem that the Moose Nation relies on to exist. That's what the right to hunt is. It's the right to hunt and the responsibility to protect that nation. That's how powerful our rights are and we need to have more of that conversation. It's not about, hey, what can the band do for me? It's literally, what are you doing for your nation? And that might be working for your First Nation, but it might not be. It might be working in Member 2. It might be helping Eel River Bar. It might be helping somewhere else. It might be working on the national stage to defend First Nation rights in general. But it's got to be something. And it doesn't even have to be on the national stage. If you're raising your babies and loving them and caring for them and sharing Mi'kmaq values and cultures, I can't think of a more powerful warrior role than that. You're helping to raise powerful, strong, confident warriors who feel loved. And with all the elders who share their knowledge, we don't expect elders to go in line protests and defend the waters and territories from RCMP invasions. They're already doing their part for nation building by sharing our values and our cultures and our beliefs and a way, a way to think forward. There's lots of things that have happened to us, but we have, as much as possible, maintained our languages, our ceremonies, our beliefs, our values, our collective goals, even in the influence of other nations, the Maliseet Nation, the Penobscot, Passamaquoddy, you know, the Haudenosaunee, the Mohawks, even, you know, that warning about how there's like a Cree behind every tree and they're trying to take over our territory because there's one in the room, I have to pick on him. <laughs> well, we're here to collectively remind him that this is our territory and they have their territory and we have protocols that we've maintained. 
So when we think about treaties, don't just limit it to the ones that we have with Her Majesty the Queen. That's just one nation that we have treaties with. And because of those treaties, because of our protocols, because of how we interact with other people and other nations as nations, that in and of itself is a form of recognition. If you ask someone from the Wollastook or Maliseet nation whose territory this is, there would be no doubt this is Mi'kmaq territory. That in and of itself is a recognition of sovereignty. It doesn't require governments to draw on a map where we are, where our territory is. We know where our territory is. And that's nationhood in action every time. But the job of nationhood is a really big job. It's one that we should all be really honored to have because our ancestors died to make sure that we would have the honor of carrying the burden and the blessing of our nationhood. They made a lot of sacrifices. They suffered a lot at the hands of colonizers to make sure we could be here and say we're a nation and I'm proud of it or we're idle no more. That's something that, there's nothing else that can replace that. If you let that literally fill up your spirit and become your life's mission, then whether you're a doctor or a lawyer or a teacher or a volunteer or someone who, who um, shares language, it won't matter what you're doing as a so-called profession. Your ultimate profession is always nation building. And there's no reason why every single person can't do it. Because here's, here's the other thing about nationhood and protecting it. It is too big of a job for one person to do. So if anyone in this room that thinks that Chief Darcy, because he's been elected chief, can go out there and protect the Mi'kmaq nation and defend the Mi'kmaq nation all by himself, we're gonna lose that battle. It's simply not possible. Even if we put all of the elected chiefs from all over the Mi'kmaq territory and put them out front and said, chief and council, that's your job, that's your job, that's your job, they're gonna lose the battle. The reason why we were so successful, successful at Idle No More is because we didn't kick the chiefs out front. The people came out and said, you see this chief here? This is his army behind him. And this is why we'll be successful. Because if we rely on other people, it's simply not going to happen. And it's okay for different people to do different things at different times with different abilities. That's okay. That's what being a nation is all about, but we can't expect or ever point to anyone to do it until we can meet them face to face and say, hey, what have you done for nationhood? I should be able to go to them first and say, here's what I'm doing for nationhood. How can I help you do something for nationhood in a non-judgmental way? Because my sister who babysits my kids so I can go protest at Idle No More is more of a warrior than me just because I'm boots on the ground. She's caring for my kids. And there's nothing more precious than our kids. And why? Because they're the nation. They're the nation builders. They're the ones who are going to make it or break it. Because if anyone in this room gives up on themselves, they've given up on one more warrior our nation needs. And we're kind of outnumbered. So we literally need every single warrior in this room. And I know that that's hard. I know it's hard. And I know that we, especially as youth, are facing lots of things. Um, 
you know, some of our families are ill, some of us have health issues, some have mental health issues, some have struggled with suicide or loss. These are things that we face every day and it's really hard to talk about. It's really hard to talk about the trauma that our families have carried forward for lots of things, residential schools or any of Canada's policies. But I think if we carry nation building in our heart, then we will always have that little light of hope to work towards, no matter what is happening. So for example, whenever I get really, really angry about things that are happening in this country, the government is doing something horrible, or they're challenging us in court, or they're denying us our treaty rights, I don't deny that anger, and I don't hold it inside, and I try very hard not to turn it against myself. I try to take that energy, because anger is a powerful energy. We sometimes look at it as a negative thing, but anger is just an energy. And so if we can take that energy and just transform it into another thing or use it for another purpose. So when I get angry, I will go and write the most critical blog I possibly can about what it is that I'm angry about. Or I will do a YouTube video and say, no, Canada, you are not going to get away with screwing our people over again. I'm going to make sure everybody knows. And that's a place to put my anger, the power of anger. But there's sometimes when I get really sad, there's lots of things that make us sad, loss or family. And I find the thing that, where do, where do I put the energy that goes around sadness? Because if you know, anytime you cry or you've been sad for a few days, you just feel like, oh, like I'm so tired because it's such a big energy to carry sadness. So I'll take that sadness and I'll put it into, what is it that's making me sad? And then I'll say, well, you know what? I'm going to help someone else today. I'm going to make someone else feel good today because I can't. I can't do it for myself, but I can do it for someone else. I can try to help someone in our nation, in our community, that's suffering and needs help right now. And it's like magic. That energy actually transforms and you start to feel good. And you feel the energy from someone else who is so incredibly thankful that someone thought to reach out in their time of need. Because sometimes we think people are surrounded. They're surrounded by family and friends. Oh, they'll be good. But sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're really alone. So we can use that energy and put it in a good way. One of the ways, one of the energies is when I get insecure or nervous and I feel like, how am I going to fight the government? Because I don't know everything they do. I'm not an expert in everything. How can I do this? It just gives me, fills me up with insecurity. Oh, they put a new Indigenous Languages Act. What do I do about that? Is that good or not? So I take that energy of insecurity and nervousness and I actually get agitated and nervous and my feet start going. It's like, okay, I'm going to translate that into, well, I'm going to read about it. I'm going to find out about it. I'm going to see what other people are saying. I'm going to do my own analysis. I'm going to test that analysis on social media and see how people react to that. And learn. Because what is it that's causing me that insecurity? Because I don't know. I will never know everything. That's okay. But I translated that energy into something constructive for our nation. Because it's always that little light that's inside. You know, the nation building in your heart that acts as a guide, even when things are really overwhelming. It's like, oh, I can always steer back to the middle. Even if I can't handle all my sadness right now, that's okay. I'm going to focus on nationhood. I'm going to focus that energy and turn it into something good. And that's, that's how I've been able to deal with it. The other way is actually 
looking at ourselves in a different way. So when I grew up, everyone kept telling me I was so poor, I was so impoverished, I had nothing. It was just, what an awful life you Indians have. You know, like, look at all these people who live in mansions and they get to, you know, go on all these hockey teams and trips to Florida every year. That's what richness is about. And I was just so poor. And it took me a little while, but I have like eight sisters and three brothers, so I had a lot of teachers. And they told me, because I, I, I used to say, you know, I, I really don't like being poor. I don't like going to school in the exact same pants every day. That's what it was when I was smaller. And they said, you know what, Pam? You are far richer than any of those people that you think are rich. Look at your friend over there. She doesn't have any brothers or sisters. She's an only child. Look at, look at that person. They're going off to a trip to Florida. But do they know anything about their nation? Do they know anything about their people? What are they doing for their neighbors? Do they have a powwow to go to? Do they get to celebrate anything? And it's like, how do we, how do we even define ourselves? Because people do that. People tell us what these things are. They're the ones saying what we are and who we are and how bad we have it or how bad we don't have it. But now that I look back, I think I, I was the richest person in the world. I didn't have money, but thank goodness my family said, you know what, here's what's important. Here are the plants and the animals that'll keep you healthy for the rest of your life. Here are the cultures and ceremonies that will ground you when you really need it. Here's this big, giant, wonderful family of 8,000 cousins. You will never not have a friend. You will, never have, you will never not have someone to fight with. You'll never have someone to test, not have someone to test your ideas out on. And thank goodness for my brothers and sisters, they were a little bit on the radical side. So I got to go to every protest, you know, every march, everything that was going on as I was growing up, I got to go to that. I didn't understand what it was, but I was a part of something big. And that was like really exciting and I felt really important, like I was doing something. But had you asked me at the time, and then said, oh yeah, you think this is your land? Why? I, I would have been like, oh, I don't know. And please don't ask me about the treaties. I don't know anything about the treaties. But I knew in my heart, because that was filled up by my brothers and sisters, the richness. And that's what I mean about being part of a nation, like the Mi'kmaq nation. It's about all of us together. It's not just a bunch, about a bunch of individuals living in one territory, like Canadians. Mi'kmaq is about our relations. We're all related. And so we're rich in that way. And we can use that richness to build our nations in ways that other bigger, larger, more powerful nations fall down. Because their people don't have that light in their heart of nationhood. And so for me, I say we have to use that light in our heart around nationhood and sovereignty and independence and self-determination and pride in who we are to constantly assert, live, and defend our nationhood. You know, we should all be wearing a t-shirt saying, I'm part of the Mi'kmaq Nation. I mean, we're literally all warriors of the Mi'kmaq Nation. And rebuilding's gonna be hard, but if you, if you think about it like this, it's all it is is a rebalancing. We have everything we need, we've always had everything we needed, it's just things got out of balance because someone else was interfering. So we're a little out of balance in terms of our leadership, 
in, in terms of our governance because the, the uh, colonial government came in and said only men can do this. Only men are allowed to do these things and took away those powers from women. But you see now, who led the Idle No More movement? Those are some kick-ass warrior women, right? Who are leading some of the protests on the ground to protect our water? Women. So we're just going to bring it back into balance so that we're all working in partnership. No one better or worse than another, but we're all equal warriors. The other balance is about rights and responsibilities. Let's change the conversation. Every time we talk about rights, just put it back in balance and talk about responsibilities so that we can guarantee that we actually have something to have rights over. And one of the most important ones, the big word nowadays is decolonize, decolonize. Let's get the colonizers out of our head. Let's stop thinking like the people who colonized us. And we could, if we wanted to, literally put all of our energy into that. But if we do, where's all the energy for revitalization? So I can get all the bad things out of my head, but what am I filling it back up with? So that's where the balance is. And I've been guilty of that. I've been so focused on the enemy that I'm forgetting about, okay, well, Pam, you still are not fluent in the Mi'kmaq language. So resurgence is that balance. Okay, I've got to keep trying to learn the Mi'kmaq language. And it's also about this concept of individual and community or nation. You know, we were always a nation. Never in our history ever did we ever say, there's not enough moose in the forest this year, so whichever babies are born, they don't get to be Mi'kmaq citizens. But when we talk about things like band membership today, what's the first response? Oh, there's not enough housing, don't let any more people in. And that is not about nationhood. So we just have to get back in balance and remember, what does it mean to be a nation? What does it mean to be a citizen? And it actually has nothing to do with money because everyone's in it for everyone else. Someone getting something isn't taking away from you. It's actually building to our nation because the bigger and more powerful our nation is, the better we all are. And so I guess my last message is really, it doesn't matter what anyone else says. It doesn't matter what anyone outside of the Mi'kmaq nation says about whether we're being realistic or practical or the government won't accept that or we won't get an agreement. It doesn't matter because for us as a nation, we don't settle for less. We act strategically different ways at different times, but we can never, ever settle. Practical is not in our language. Give up a whole bunch of stuff because that's the only way we get an agreement. What? No, that's not. If we were going to give up our land, if we were going to cede and surrender, extinguish our rights, we would have done that in the treaties, and we didn't, and we suffered for it. They issued scalping bounties on us. So for all of those who died from that, we have to remember that when we're negotiating agreements now, we don't have the right to do that to our ancestors who have passed, to give up anything, no matter what anyone else says, including people in our own communities who feel lost or who feel frustrated or who don't like chief number X. You know, this chief is so terrible and they don't do anything and they haven't helped our community. Always remember, your nation is bigger than any individual chief or counselor or even person on the Grand Council or community member that you don't like. We're bigger than that. We've been here since time immemorial. 
So there's lots of time to fight with our cousins later. Nationhood always comes first. And if that means you volunteer for the chief that you don't like the most, that's nationhood in action. And just try to remember that because there will be a lot of negative people in their lives and don't judge them. They're suffering too. It's hard. All of this colonization is hard. But if you live all of this in your mind, body, and spirit, if you remember to keep that light of nationhood and sovereignty in your heart, it'll always take you back towards the middle and your mission. None of you in this room will be able to walk out of here and say, I don't have a mission or a purpose in life. Because we need every single one of you. So keep doing this. Keep being you. Keep defending our nation. And that's how we will be the last nation standing. We were the first here by the grace of the Creator, and we will be the last one standing because we have never given up our sovereignty. Walaliug. Thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. And I really appreciate it when you send me all of your podcast requests and for tuning into the Warrior Life podcast. And thank you to Listagush for sending me the audio and the video so that I could post it on my YouTube and podcast and share it as widely as possible. And I'll also be sure to post a link to the YouTube video in the show notes in case you prefer videos. Till next time, keep living a warrior life. Well, I'll leave.